One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hello, welcome along to Writer's Routine. This week, it's our last episode of the year, and we're chatting to the immensely creative Ross Sutherland. Uh, He is a poet, he is a playwright, he is a radio writer, he is a a film writer, uh, kind of a jack of all writing trades, really. You can hear why he likes changing the rules and controls of his writing to make him more creative. We talk about why he's got into podcasting recently as a form of storytelling, and you can hear why he finds out why he is actually bothering to tackle the project kind of towards the end and why he's completely happy about that the whole reason i'm doing it and the, the, the reason it's personal to me is something i will discover uh, quite late uh in the process but i i, I can't like that because that solves my problem it solves the problem of like oh why should you write something what's you know like what's what's what, what gives you the right to, to stand up and do something well yeah because i'm not starting with the reason anymore i just start with the the, the writer's process and I let and I let reason just work itself out later. There is more on the way with Ross Sutherland in this week's writer's routine. Yes. Hello. Welcome along to the show. It's the last episode of the year because um, next week will be Christmas. The week after that will be um, New Year's Day. So I think I think we'll see. Uh, we'll chat again in three weeks' time. I don't know. I'm a little bit worried about what that's going to do to my ad revenue. Anyway, more or less three weeks. I'll keep you updated on Twitter. Give us a follow. It's at WritersPod there. My name is Dan Simpson. Thank you for listening. This is the show where we take a look inside an author's working day. Um, Not just an author, actually, a writer of all sorts. Uh, This week, we're chatting to Ross Sutherland. He is an uber creative, I reckon. Uh, It's a bit different this week because he's not a strict novelist. It's not crime, not thrillers or romance. It's, It's something a bit different. Uh, He's a jack of all writing trades, as I say. He is a film and radio writer, a stage writer, a poet as well. He's written radio series for the BBC, creative writing courses for Audible, uh, written plays that are entirely in palindromic form. How does that idea pop into your head? Uh, He's written for EastEnders, and it's podcasting that has taken his focus recently. His experimental storytelling podcast, Imaginary Advice, won him uh, gold at the British Podcast Awards. I only got silver, but let's move on from that. Uh, Also, his new series is a six-parter. It's called The Golden House, and it is brilliant. When you finish listening to this, I guarantee you want to go and find his podcast. Uh, I'm not really in the business of... Podcasting is quite collegiate, right? But I'm not really in the business of, of promoting other people's shows because everyone's got a podcast, but um, it's 
a fantastic idea, perfectly executed. It's a puzzle of a podcast, really. Um, it's uh, The story is it's a fictional corporate tech podcast. Something like Google, a very secretive place like Google, kind of like that. Uh, they've released this podcast to, to let listeners in, to kind of share some of their secrets. But there's a lot more that's going on. Um, the guy who is presenting it in the story world is trying to reveal some of the company's dark secrets inside the show with puzzles uh, that he kind of sets. And you have to really listen out to figure out what they are. It's up to you to work it out. And, and hopefully you work collectively to do it. Um, it makes more sense when he explains it, I promise. Uh, we talk about cr- controlling creativity and why he needs to be quite structured and routined to work, uh, how his day and style differs depending on what he's writing, uh, how his creativity started with the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. You can also hear how he loves all the different parts of storytelling with audio. Now, uh, it's quite a longish but pretty detailed one, uh, so stay with it. I really think that you'll pick up quite a lot listening through uh, with Ross Sutherland. And we start, as we always do, with what he sees around him in the place where he sits down to write. This, I guess, now uh, for the majority of 2020, because of lockdown conditions, the where I'm sitting right now is kind of my, it's become the place that I work. But uh, it, I am surrounded by just nonsensical debris right i have like an unplugged mini fridge that i'm trying to get like a neighbor to come and pick up because i don't need it uh sitting here and then just piles of nonsense around me i've just got like books and dvds it's it's a mess uh um so i can't say that like this particular cluttered space naturally represents uh um the like the 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 best case scenario but i'm trying to make do with it as 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 best i can and you know after uh i don't know how many months it's been now i have kind of got a bit more used to it um traditionally i'd probably go out more just to help separate my kind of my my work life from my domestic life uh because i do have like a spare room which ostensibly could be used as a uh uh, a, a, a kind of an office space, but again, it is just full of stuff that I can barely really use it. So, uh, yeah, I, I tend to. There's a business center just around the corner from me, and uh, once upon a time, I did look into with uh, with another writer. I kind of looked into the the possibility of like renting uh, an office in this business center. That was me and my friend uh, Mark feeling. Uh, very much like we wanted to take control of our writing lives, and we were like, "Yeah, we'll have a, we'll have a, we'll have a, we'll have an office space, and that will be a nice kind of like empty, clean space for us to go and kind of work every day." But it was just so expensive that I just couldn't afford it. But then on, on the way out, I was like, "Ah, right, there is like a cafe here in this thing, and it, they don't seem. If I come into this building, I uh." No one asks me if I'm like, if I have like an office here or whether I'm just visiting. So I can just come in here and just like use their cafe. And uh, yeah, and that sort of became my my routine basically to sort of come into this office building pretending that I work there and then just uh, go sit in the cafe. Uh, And I found that quite good, actually. That's quite nice. A good mixture of uh, um, 
being in a public space so I don't feel like quite like such a hermit, but also not such like a loud cafe that like I'm not going to be able to uh, hear myself think. So in your, your rather cluttered space where you are now, where you've been forced this year, um, uh, like amidst all the books and the DVDs or whatever's kind of piling high around you, is there anything there that's that's solely for your inspiration, solely to, to kind of let you tap into that creative part? God, yeah, I suppose. Um, I mean, like th- there are like particular books that I find myself coming back to uh, time and time again. And sometimes it's not necessarily even uh, a book that, Sometimes it's not even a book that's kind of like particularly connected to the project that I'm doing, although I do find that useful as well. Um, I think sometimes it's good to just like have a book that just is kind of just like my safe space. Uh, there's a collection of poetry by uh, David Berman uh, called Actual Air. It's the one book of poetry that David Berman wrote. He's most known for um, being the the lead singer of uh, the band Silver Jews. Um, and uh, yeah, like that book uh, of, of like poetry, like it's so dog-eared because I pretty much like carried it around uh, in like a bag for, 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 for the best part of a decade. And there's something about uh, David's poetry where he's able to both simultaneously be very like disarming and kind of very matter of fact. He's the only poet I know who will kind of end a verse with a line like, well, you know what I'm getting at. And that kind of just like very, very like ultra conversational tone. And then at other moments he'll do these kind of death defying turns of surreal metaphor. And will just crowd his poems with just so many incredibly observed little moments and images uh in a very kind of cinematic way not cinematic as in storytelling but in kind of a cinematic montage kind of way and I don't know I think there's something about that combination of like someone who's both incredibly conversational and also just able to do these amazing really long reaches to find like a really like fantastic image like that combination I find just like a, like a, a light goes on in my brain and I'm like right those are the two extremes that I kind of like playing within as a writer I like that conversational and I also like that turn of the surreal and it kind of clicks in of course it doesn't really help if I'm actually trying to write a poem because then that's just too close you know like I I, I mean you know otherwise I'll just start copying out David Berman poems but if I was working on like uh, like a screenplay or a story or uh, or a monologue or a, or a, or a libretto, I, I, I then suddenly I, I think like that just becomes just like yeah, that's my kind of go-to thing to bring me back to the table a bit. If I were to walk into your the, the, your space where you are, my chaos, yeah, your your chaos, yeah. yeah. Um, would I have any clue as to what you were working on at that moment? Because you know we're going to talk about the Golden House um, podcast a bit later on, which, as I say, we'll find out about this. But I would imagine 
just the nature of it, there's a lot of planning that needs to go into it. Have you got like post-it notes? Have you got a whiteboard or something that just helps you kind of keep track on what's happening? Yeah. So certain types of project. Yeah. I do like to use kind of notes on the wall. It's been a little bit of a time since I've done the whole notes on the wall thing. Probably um, the last time I worked on like a, like a feature length screenplay was a time where I felt like I had the most meticulously plan. Uh, and maybe also for the, the, the libretto that I worked on a couple of years ago, I think that also had to be so carefully structured in advance. I kind of needed to be able to kind of visualize it on my wall every single time I kind of sat down at my desk. Otherwise I'd forget an element of it and uh and then the whole thing would like fall apart so yeah i think there are certain projects where like the structure has to um has to sort of come first for me i think also because once i get you know if i'm writing in a pad or i'm just like typing onto a computer i think i've kind of naturally trained myself over the years to just um to intentionally like meander from the point, right? I think like uh, there's a great quote for uh, about poetry. I think it's it's maybe Billy Collins, um, where he says uh, uh, a poem tries to escape its own subject matter, and I love that as an idea. And I think that's something that I like. I try to internalize. Like I know where a piece starts, but then once I'm there, once I'm writing it, I'm almost like intentionally like working away from it uh, and just like letting my mind wander and derivate to, uh, is that a word? Derivate? Anyway, like go wherever it needs to go to sort of like to follow it. So hopefully by the time I get to like the end of like the piece of writing, I've ended up in somewhere like entirely different, you know, like I thought I was writing a poem about a circus and I've ended up writing a poem about my granddad. You didn't know where those things were going. Uh, And so uh, yeah, I think as like quite naturally I do that. And I do that when I write my kind of my, uh, my own kind of monthly podcast as well, which is an experimental writing podcast. I kind of like to just let certain aspects of it just meander and lead me down uh, rabbit holes. And so I got to work against that sometimes when I have to do something, which is, you know, like where I have to be more conscious of, uh, of kind of like length and who my collaborators are. So yeah, in those instances, yeah, I think it really helps to kind of make that structure kind of writ large on the wall a little bit to help keep me in check. I always find that balance quite interesting. So when you've got, so so you do work on some more free form stuff, as you say, like your poetry, but then you, you, you have also intentionally written fairly structured pieces like I'll mention The Golden House, like it's a puzzle podcast. You've written a play entirely in palindromic form. You've written, you know, like writing courses for audibles. When you are writing something which is more structured, do you find that you kind of maybe find yourself working better with the structure, with the planning in place, or is it much harder to turn yourself in that direction? Uh, I, like... Structure is really, really important to me. And um, and I think like a big, big turning point for me as a writer, because uh, like early part of my sort of relationship with writing, I mean, I wrote from uh, pretty young. I was really interested in um, 
like the the sort of the ranting poetry scene when I was like 16, 17, I went and saw John Cooper Clark and I sort of fell in love with that style of kind of poetry. And I had a sort of my initial sort of group of, sort of yeah, sort of the first few years of me being a writer was really uh, about that. And that kind of sense about me trying to discover like liveness and uh, trying to match that with kind of my love of poetry. Then suddenly I just really hit a wall and I didn't really know what I wanted to talk about anymore. I think I was kind of in university by that point And I just felt the weight of so many stories so much, you know, the entire canon of literature, kind of like, and you're just like, I don't, I've got nothing to say anymore. I don't like, what can I say that I can't immediately pick up a book that hasn't done it like a hundred times better. And for me, the thing that broke me through that was structure. And it was through um, my discovery of uh, the, uh, the French uh, experimental literary group, uh, the Ulipo. Uh So Ulipo. Um, that's, uh, Ulipo means, uh, ouvroir de literature potentiel, workshop for potential literature. Uh, and it was kind of started in the 1960s as a kind of, um, it's a sort of, it was sort of set up in response to surrealism a little bit. I think that the, uh, uh, the, uh, the, the, the Olympian poets, they looked at the surrealists and here were these, uh, these poets who were like, ah, oh, yeah, you know, of, uh, I've painted a, a hat bigger than a man. And, you know, now I've accessed my unconscious mind that I'm free. And, you know, and the Ulipo were kind of like, well, no, maybe by removing all the rules, maybe you're not free. Maybe you're now just bound by kind of stuff going on in your subconscious that you don't really understand. So the Ulipo went the other way. They were like, well, we're going to flood our work with rules. We're going to add so many like uh writing constraints and structures to uh to 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 our projects that will make it almost impossible to write you know like uh, it and in doing so will create these kind of mazes and our mind has to sort of like work through this maze to try and find the solution and if we manage to find the solution that's had to come from like so deep inside us that's come from you know, something like beyond our conscious level that we were able to sort of like find a way through this, this kind of word game that we'd set ourselves. And, um, and it sounds really counterintuitive. It doesn't sound like the most truthful writing you could do would come from just like covering the work in rules. But the more I tried to like explore those types of methods, the more it really did work for me. And I spent like the back half of my twenties and, pretty much ever since yeah like finding really a lot of the creative process for me is coming up with these these word games coming up with these rule systems which you know like if i can create a good rule system and it feels like a like a fiendish puzzle for me to try and solve then like naturally i kind of find the the very act of solving those puzzle puzzles uh it takes my brain to places where it would never normally go. And I learn stuff about myself that I wouldn't have. Yeah. I, I, I don't think had I even known it, I would have had the courage to write about it because uh, I, I'm kind of naturally quite protective of kind of some of my inner thoughts. But then if you're playing a puzzle and you don't have a choice, you're like, well, this was the only solution I could come up with. And so 
that's what kind of goes in. Like I made a play and this play was, uh, it was all about this VHS tape that I found uh, in, in, in my attic. And uh, it turns out when I watched the tape, it was actually a videotape that kind of me and my granddad had compiled um, when I was about sort of five or six years old. And it was basically like me and my granddad's, all our favorite TV shows that we'd all put together on the same VHS tape. And um, the kind of, the, the challenge that I set myself was, right, I'm going to take the, the footage on this tape and I'm going to turn it into uh, a show and I'm going to show this tape to audiences, but like, I can't, I, I, I can edit a tape uh, as in I can rewind it and fast forward it, but I can't show them anything that isn't on this tape right here. And I'm going to write poetry that synchronizes with this videotape. So like one of the things on the tape was the, uh, it was the, uh, uh, an episode of the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air and, uh, and like the opening credits of the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. I was like, wow, this is like, you know, it's like 30 seconds of footage, but it's a, it's a piece of footage that lots of people know really, really well. Um, even if you remove all the sound from it and just look at the images, um, it's very like iconic. It's got loads of movement in it. And I reckon quite a lot of people, if, even if you handed them a video camera, they'd have a go at being able to kind of recreate it. They'd know what the footage was shot for shot. And you can't say that about a lot of video footage. So I wrote like a poem but synchronized with the, with the opening credits. So Will Smith is kind of acting out uh, the words that I say. He's like a metaphor for whatever I'm talking about. So like at one point he's, when he's spinning around that guy's head, uh, if you remember on the basketball court at the start. So like, uh, like, so, you know, like every single time I needed to like do a new verse of the poem, I just rewind the tape to the start of the footage. So like in one verse, that's like, something going down like a plug hole uh in another verse it's um um it's a clock being turned backwards and and so on and so forth right so it's always a metaphor and uh and you know i found myself like all this really personal stuff <laughs> just started pouring out of me because i think by you making it so hard to write i kind of accidentally like disabled all my kind of like writing inhibitors. Uh, and, and, it, and like that whole show that I made out of that videotape, it's like by far the most personal thing I've ever made. There's lots of stuff about grief and about my own uh, mental health. And uh, yeah, my, yeah, my relationship to work and death. And I just, I just, I never ever would have talked about any of that stuff <laughs> if I'd just been given a blank page and said, okay, just write. Uh, even going with my old kind of poetry adage of, you know, a poem tries to escape its own subject matter. Like I, I, I wouldn't have led it intentionally towards something so personal. So yeah. Anyway, that's my long answer basically of saying, I think, yeah, actually the, the, the more structured writing I find can end up being some of the most personal. It is form first and actually the subject that I'm writing about can come very, very late in uh, the process. I can be, if I've made the puzzle hard enough, uh, yeah, like, um, like it will kind of just like emerge through this process of like, just, you know, it's a bit like, um, 
you know, I talk about like, uh, this might seem like a slightly odd comparison, but yeah, some, sometimes it, it, it is a kind of parallel to this process of uh, channeling or pyromancy, right? You're looking into the flames, the flames move around and there's, there's, there you see shadows and shapes in the fire. And then you kind of work out what those shapes might mean. And, you know, like that interpretive thing that you've done there has come from very, very deep inside you. And that's what, that's the thing that you then follow and see through. So um, yeah, like quite often, yeah, the, like the, the, the point, the whole reason I'm doing it and the, the, the reason it's personal to me is something I will discover uh, quite late uh, in the process. But I, I, I kind of like that because that solves my problem. It solves the problem of like, oh, why should you write something? What's, you know, like what's, what's what, what gives you the right to, to stand up and do something? Well, yeah, because I'm not starting with the reason anymore. I just start with the, the, the writer's process and I let, I, and I let reason just work itself out later. Do you have any interest in writing a pretty standard uh, novel, like a pretty standard page turning thriller? I mean, I do because actually page turning standard thrillers are also really, really structured. You know, like if you've ever looked at the, um, like the guide, the Mills and Boone guidelines, right to writing like a Mills and Boone novel like they have very very strict rules it looks like the kind of document that you might expect the sort of well it's not that far from yeah there's the sort of manifesto you might get from a kind of experimental writing group right they have this must happen here this must happen there and I think like the 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 challenge of uh even following those rules and seeing where my mind takes me I, I, yeah I, I would I would like to I think the reason why I um, I shy away from writing uh, um, novels is is purely just due to the my, my situation with uh, workflow um, because uh, my process as a writer it kind of favours uh, like writing small monthly projects as opposed to taking on like big projects that last several years to complete. I mean, my work as a playwright was a lot more like that where, you know, I I did have some time where like, you know, I would write a play per year and that would be my, my big project. But that's for me, that's just a huge amount of pressure to put on one particular story and um i and i and i and i found that that made, made me really anxious to 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 work like that and uh that's kind of one of the reasons why i've kind of pivoted more to working in audio and uh you know now creating a situation for me where uh uh, through my imaginary advice podcast, I get to write like a short story or essay or monologue every month. Uh, and even if I'm writing something like more long form in audio, it's, um, it feels slightly more kind of manageable as a, as, as, as a creative project. So the show is writer's routine then. And uh, I imagine, well, I'm, I'm curious to hear yours because as you've just said, you, you focus on these more, short-term bursts of energy where you don't 
feel the anxiety of you know having to still be thinking about this project in like 18 months time so it, it it always takes the same form it's the moment you wake up to the moment you go to bed on a day when you are sat down to write um how does it look cross how does your energy kind of go your creativity how does it flow in that day uh, yeah i mean for me i definitely i try to do all my most creative work first thing in the morning you know i get up early sort of 6 or 6:30 uh on a on a on a proper writing day and um, uh, I try and get, yeah, like the first kind of couple of hours of the day is basically where I'm going to do the majority of my my good writing because I can drink lots of coffee. I, there's no distractions. Like I'm not really going to get any emails uh, at that time. Uh, and, you know, as the day goes on, just more of the world wakes up, both my world and the world around me. And there's complications are going to get in the way. Uh so yeah, I do loads of my writing first thing. Um, what I tend to find is like how that writing looks depends on where I am in the process. Um, if the, um, the, the stage where I'm coming up with the rule system, where I'm trying to kind of like work on my structure, uh, that's something that happens uh, in a notebook. I, I, I find like, my brain works best if I kind of like map things quite pictorially in terms of thinking about uh, like what are the structures of this story and how can I then like flesh out these kind of structures. I use a lot of uh, looping in my narratives uh, partly because I think that's what interests me uh uh, in uh, storytelling in, a, in an audio medium. Uh, I think it, there's, I'm interested in this idea of like ambient storytelling and how maybe when someone's listening to a story as opposed to reading it, uh, they may be doing something else at the same time. And so like the, the story itself, it kind of helps to kind of cook in a kind of looping uh, uh, mechanism. So uh, even if you possibly missed uh, an important piece of information, something's going to come. Uh, back around uh, again so uh, yeah I do a lot of that in a kind of pictorial sense and then even when I'm kind of fleshing out that uh, those kind of diagrams uh, I kind of like to do it in a notebook and I tend to get out of the house still to do that Um, there's uh, like a canal not too far from my house here uh, in Peterborough and so like I go and I can walk along the canal and I take my notebook with me uh, and I'll kind of scribble notes. I I, I look a bit odd uh, doing it a little bit like I'm kind of writing, writing up kind of citations on uh, the canal boats. That's by accident. Uh, And uh, yeah, so lots of notes get written when I'm walking. uh, And then uh, if I'm later in the process, then yeah, it is just me kind of sitting at a desk with that notebook, actually then putting it into a proper final script form. Of course, because I tend to work a lot in audio, there's this whole other kind of like sections of the process where lots of the creative decisions get made as well. So uh, when I get to a point where I have to like record my script, because I tend to read a lot of it myself as well. Um, Like I end up changing lots of the script as it's coming out of my mouth because 
there are certain things that I just don't notice until like it's been turned into sound. Uh, and then again, once I get to the, the editing stage, uh, there's a huge amount of story shaping happens there too. And I can't, that's one of the things I quite like in working in kind of audio is because I am a writer, then I'm a performer, then I'm uh, an, an editor. And sometimes that's done by three different people, but because they're all me, uh, yeah, I get to both keep one hand on the wheel all the way through, but because I'm switching hats, uh, it does still mean I can kind of pick up on stuff myself rather than waiting for someone else to pick it up for me. Hiring for your small business. If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals. You can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads, generally, for most people, are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. We'll get back to it with Ross in just a sec. Very quickly before, a little reminder, if you enjoy these podcasts, if you've learned anything this year, I don't think we've had a week off. Not sure. Don't quote me on that, but I reckon we've been here every single week. Uh, if you le- if you've learned anything, if you think there were if you think they're worth a few quid or some dollars a month, you can do just that. Support us over at patreon.com forward slash writers routine. It really helps us out. You get thanks, you get merch. Uh, there's even a way for your book to sponsor the show. Um, if you do love what we do, if you've learned anything, if you want to see it carry on, if you want us to keep bringing you these chats with great storytellers as often as we can. You can help that happen. Just head over to patreon.com forward slash writer's routine. Right, let's get back to it then with Ross Sutherland talking about his new podcast series, The Golden House. Uh, It's a podcast puzzle and we'll learn more about it in this half. We talk about why he doesn't care what his writing looks like on the page. Uh, Also why he wanted to make something with secrets inside it that would need you to work. Uh, How video games inspired the project. And we pick it up talking about the editing process which he sees as very much part of the writing. I love the editing side. I think there is, because it's just such a late stage in the process. And I think it's, um, and I think it's because maybe it's because in the earlier stages, I never let myself even think of it as a finished product. Like I I heard this great quote from, uh, 
Slavoj Zizek, where he was talking about his writing process. And he was like, oh, look, I, I tell myself whenever I sit down to write, uh, I'm just like, I'm not writing. I'm just making notes. I'm just planning. This is just planning. This is just planning. And then I take those notes. I put them in a drawer for a day. And when I come back and I pick them up, and then I say to myself, well, I've written the book. Now I'm just editing. So the whole writing process disappears. It gets completely sucked in. So it's just planning and editing. Uh, and so you don't have to be a writer. <laughs> you, and, and I think that is something that I also really, really relate to. So when it's in my notebooks, my notebooks are an utter mess. You know, whenever I buy like a new notebook, the first thing I do is like I scribble on the front cover because I don't want the, the notebook. I don't want to like indulge in this idea of a notebook being something precious uh, something which, you know, like I have to be really careful with. I want it to look like I'm an absolute mess right out the gate. If I'm going to have the confidence to kind of write, like I don't want to worry about, you know, like anybody else ever seeing this book and kind of judging me on the contents of it. So my notebooks are a mess. Uh, when I'm, I'm translating that up into like a word document, uh, again, like I, I don't, you know, like I, it could be in Comic Sans for all I care. Like I tend to be uh, very scrappy with how I write. Um, I even, I, I use like line returns. So the words just scroll down the left-hand margin a little bit like it's some kind of epic poem, even if it's, even if I'm writing like a story or stuff like that, I kind of naturally use like a carriage return every single time I imagine myself um, taking a breath or pausing for even like half a second. Uh, So it doesn't look (laughs) good at all. It looks like a complete mess. And I even use uh, with my punctuation, I use it more like kind of musical notation. So I'm using like M dashes and, uh, and ellipses and brackets and sometimes going at the caps or underlining in my head. These all have specific meanings for me in terms of how I would like read that line. Uh, but anybody else coming to it would just think it's an absolute mess. So it's only when it comes to that audio stage, once that, that, that script has been, turned into sound and it lives on my computer and I'm adding sound design and score and, uh, and I'm like removing even like all my kind of breaths and, you know, taking like the best take of the five that I did, uh, like suddenly like it goes from being just, it goes from being like complete notes to feeling like a really like, very close to being like the very finished uh, product, the same one that a listener is going to put in their ears. And so like that rush of suddenly letting, like, like leaving it all to the last minute and then it being finished um, is really thrilling for me. And like, and yeah, so many of my stories are saved at that point. Uh, uh, you know, and, and I'm a lot better at then, like I said, you know, like I, I, I have a, a tendency to digress. So at that point I can then make a decision about which digressions I keep and which ones I get rid of, you know, like, uh, and yeah, things tighten up pretty fast. So no, yeah, that, that like that, that end bit is, is, is great. I can imagine though for novelists, I can imagine it being a real, real like grind sometimes completely. 
back to the day, um, because you're working on these these short, sharp projects that that kind of consume your year. How good are you at switching off? If you're if you're you know rampantly working, if your energy is kind of peaking in the morning, how good are you at four o'clock of detaching yourself from the work that you've done that day? Good, yeah, not good. <laughs> <laughs> I struggle. Yeah, uh, um, uh, it, it's um, I mean, you definitely after lunch, I'm pretty spent anyway. Um, uh, like lunch is, I, I like I, I I try so hard to sort of like to 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 eat less and less to to try and not just like completely kind of you know like have this huge blood sugar crash around you know like sort of 2 p.m but it's I, I find it almost impossible so like yeah like afternoons i i, I kind of just use for doing emails and uh stuff like that um and then uh yeah like then you know sometimes it does really help because if particularly right now where like i'm working from home sometimes i just go for a walk around the block because like that's the equivalent of me coming home from the office and I need to kind of like insert that. So I, I leave the house and I'm, I'm leaving the workspace and then I, you know, I, I go walk around, uh, you know, like, and then I come back again and like now I'm, I'm home. And that is really, really important for me because you know, I, I know so many, you know, self-employed artists that have the same problems as me about that division and who will just, work into the evenings will just give their creative projects all of their time because you know the uh the goldfish grows to fill the size of whatever container you put it in right and i, and I think that's that's definitely hard to to still be able to uh turn off we're here to talk about as i say this um the podcast series the golden house which is it's kind of hard to describe. I guess it's almost like an escape room of a podcast. I know it's not an escape room, but you know, it, it's this thing. It's, I like that. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I like that. Yeah. Okay, so yeah. we'll say an escape room of a podcast. <laughs> um, and it is, look, like there are about, I could, I live in central London. I could chuck a dart into the air and it would hit someone that's got a podcast. So, <laughs> I'm not really in the business of promoting other people's podcasts, but yours is just such like an incredible work. Uh, um, tell me about the moment that the idea for what would become the golden house came into your mind. How did that present itself? Um, yeah, it's, um, it's, it's something that for a long time, you know, like you're right when you say, but like everybody has a, has a podcast now. Right. And that there's, there's, there's a lot out there. And I think that, you, you like drama podcasts, fiction podcasts are somewhat of like a rarer breed because, um, like podcasts favor quick turnaround of content. Uh, and you know, like if you're doing storytelling, it's, it's a lot harder to work to that kind of criteria. Um, so, you know, like there's, there's less of them, I think more in the U S and like even the ones that do exist, they often tend to be stuff more like D and D podcasts, right? Which can still kind of you just turn a handle and you crank it, and a and a, and a thing comes out. Um, they're 
the sort of storytelling, well, the improvised storytelling, I guess. Um, but I, I felt there was, there was a, a gap. I, I basically made the golden house just because I really, it was a podcast. I wouldn't have made it if I could have found something online already that kind of scratched that itch. Uh, but I, 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 I wanted to do something that, that had secrets contained within it that you could listen to and enjoy on a surface level. But um, if you were listening carefully, um, you would realize that there was a secret message being kind of transmitted to the listener. Uh, and if you sort of follow that message, you would find all these extra kind of uh, there's much, much deeper story hiding beneath the surface. Very quickly, let me just cut in. Like, I, I guess it's such a, I mean, it's such a naively obvious question, but why? Why did you want to do that? Why did you choose? You know, we, we spoke earlier about how structure helps you really tell better stories, you find. Why did you, why having this, this dual layered um, podcast, why is that what you felt your next project, your next method of storytelling needed to be? <sighs> It's a really good question and and hard to say why, apart from the idea that like I'm really interested in the in so much of like what can podcasting do as a uh, as, as its own uh, art form uh, for storytelling that's harder to do uh, in um in other forms. Although I will say that like I do think there's a there are sort of parallels. I remember when I was a kid, there was a book called Conundrum. Which I don't know if you ever sort of ah, saw Conundrum. I've heard of it. Yes, I've heard of it. Yeah, like um, like and, and I, I, I hope I don't get this wrong, but like the way I understood it, it was like like it was a kind of collaboration between like Cadbury's cream eggs and Fabergé, and there was several Fabergé golden eggs, decorated golden eggs, which were buried in locations or like. Things were buried, which then, if you cashed them in, you could get this, 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 this egg. Um, so there were these, these, these lock boxes hidden across the UK, and uh, this book conundrum. Every double page of this book had a poem and an illustration, and uh, and together those two things were a treasure map uh, to some kind of. Uh, location where you could then bury up, you know, dig up this thing and, and get it right. So I liked it because that's the one thing that, like, from school onwards, teachers told me poetry was not meant to be <laughs> right. Because, like, they say, look, a poem is not a riddle to be solved, right? Like, like, like you're not supposed to, you know, you're not meant to read, uh, like. Uh, you, you know, like the wasteland and then go and the answer to the wasteland is a chair, right? Like that's not how it works, right? You're not supposed to be trying to kind of decrypt art in that way. So the idea that there was this project and I was like, oh yeah, no, except this one time <laughs> where that is exactly what we want you to do, you know, like, and I don't know, I found that really compelling, right? I just found the idea of and you know what? Like I've used it as a joke for years. Whenever I had like a new book of poetry would come out, I'd always, you know, I'd always tweet about it and say, oh, and of course, uh, anybody who can solve the riddles in my book of poetry 
will find the location of my buried treasure. Right. I, I did it literally as like a, as like a gag for years as a way of kind of, you know, like, yeah, like, uh, like lampooning the, uh, the often the kind of, oh, what's the right words? The, 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 the way that, the the, the 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 sort of the highfalutin way that like poets can sometimes stand away from their their, their their audience and the sort of interpretive gap between like the art and uh and, and the audience uh on, on which we kind of like fall into and we put various kind of uh critics and academics in between the two to help us kind of like guide us through there uh and I just liked the idea of like, well, let's actually make an art form where that is precisely it. There there really is a secret message going on underneath. And I guess I was also thinking about stuff like, you know, uh, there are certain like, was it, was it like Bowie's last album that had like a kind of like a whole like secret image on the, uh, on, on, on the vinyl record that you could only see. It was like a, it's like, um, a, like a glow in the dark image that you can only see. Like if you take the record outside at night or something, I, I, I can't remember the precise details, but the idea of an artist hiding stuff within a work, which people didn't find immediately, you know, like when you presented the work to the public, it was just, that there was still work to be done and that stuff would uncover over time. So when I was thinking of like the puzzles for this golden house podcast, I I mean, I probably should explain the golden house is like, it it set up like a corporate tech podcast. And what becomes quite quickly apparent over time is the guy who's presenting this corporate tech podcast, who uh, works for this, um, this kind of uh, clean tech company who have very, very strict policies on, uh, their intellectual property. So no one's allowed to kind of, it's a bit like Willy Wonka's chocolate factory. Like no one's allowed in and no one's allowed out of this, uh, this, this kind of uh, campus, this tech campus that they have on the Isle of Wight. Um, and this tech podcast is now him kind of like opening the doors and saying like, Hey, let's, let's tell you what we've been. I'm going to tell you what we've been working on uh, behind closed doors. But what becomes clear to the listener over listening to it is that he is trying to whistleblow on the company and that he is kind of being asked to present uh, a kind of a false narrative about what's been going on. Uh, and he's, 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 he sounds very disingenuous. He's keeps saying that he's not reading off a script, even though he's clearly reading off a script. Uh, and uh, there are actually the, the adverts within the podcast are actually like puzzles that he's made. And if you can solve those puzzles, if you, they, uh, they, they have an answer to them, then you can take that information, put it in a website somewhere else on the internet, and then you get to hear his kind of secret behind the scenes recording of what's really going on. Uh, so yeah, that's the kind of like the, 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 the structure that, uh, that I've kind of used. But when I was designing the puzzles, I wasn't thinking of it as, as if uh, I expected every single person to be able to solve every single puzzle because this is a digital project, it lives on the internet and the internet works together as like a huge render farm. So uh, all I had to do was create puzzles that I knew somebody could solve. And then I just trusted that like the, the, if you were interested in solving that puzzle, you would track down the person who had the information who could help you with it. 
podcasts, they, you know, like they're digital forms, they, you know, like, uh, and they live on the internet and uh, most people kind of share podcasts also on kind of social media. Like, so kind of community is almost like built into the way that podcasts are uh, distributed. And I think that does make a factor. So I don't necessarily, for that project, I wasn't necessarily thinking about audiences as individuals. I was thinking about audiences as a collective. And one of the things that was important to me was this idea that um, because I made this during lockdown and it was during a period where I was feeling quite isolated myself and I wanted uh, a reason to kind of get together with, with strangers online uh, with something that was still quite escapist. Uh, um, that was, and so part of the golden house was also inspired by that. Um, so it's not so much about, I, I think it's what is just important is that like not being able to fundamentally know the answer doesn't necessarily completely stop you in the tracks in being able to enjoy it. Because here's the thing, like video games, you know, like a, a, a video game, uh, you could say like prohibits you from seeing all of the art that you've bought if your skill level isn't good enough to, 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 to complete the game. Right. And so you, so like video games are always wrestling with that. It's just like, uh, like, have we made the game too hard? Does that mean people are going to buy it? And they're just only going to be able to like play it for just like an hour and then give up and all the rest of the stuff they paid for just, it, it, it doesn't, they don't get it. Uh, cause that feels deeply unfair. But at the same time, like we live in this interconnected culture of like walkthroughs and like YouTube guides, basically people explaining how these things work. So if you do get stuck, you just ask for help. And that is just like cooked into video gaming. And that's something that like, I kind of also wanted the, this, this to sort of touch on as well. You, if, you get to a puzzle and it's in a language that you don't know. I didn't want people to be like, oh, well, I'm stupid now because I don't know that language. Like what I wanted that to be is then like a, a kind of provocation for them to reach out to someone online who does speak that language and kind of ask for help. And uh, as long as that doesn't seem like uh, cheating, then that's good for me. That's pretty immense in the modern day and age of the internet when it's seen as as being the breeding ground of so much divisive hatred is actually that you can you know hark back to what it was meant to be which is this immense place for for shared knowledge and collaboration um listen let me just very quickly take you back to the moment when you had the idea so you knew you wanted this 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 podcast where um it it can work on many different levels. If you want to read into the puzzles, you can do that. If you just want to be there for the story, that you can do that as well. When you know that you've got this, what happens for you next? How do you get from that idea to then Alex being on the Isle of Wight reading the script out for this company? It, it's sometimes there are certain details which I feel get put in place. Like I, I make arbitrary choices sometimes. Um, like to begin with, I, I like the location of the story. Like I didn't want it to be on the mainland. I wanted it to be in somewhere where I, I wanted it to be on like an island. I kind of felt like I wanted to set it in the UK still, partly just because it was going to be me doing 
like the like the the, the voice acting, um, and yeah, so I kind of chose the Isle of Wight quite like arbitrarily, and I just started looking for places where I could set this tech campus, and just happened upon uh, um, uh, um, this this stately home, uh, which was once I think it's a hotel now, but it was once the home of Alfred Lord Tennyson. And at that point, it was just like, I just thought, that's just kind of interesting. That's a nice, like, granular detail. So I kind of, the, my first draft, I just kind of, like, put it in there. But subsequently, because I was writing this and it was serialized and, uh, you know, it was actually coming out while I was still writing the back end of it, um, sometimes those arbitrary decisions, the more you look into them, uh, the more uh, you find kind of connections to what you're doing and in the end i was able to connect uh the poetry of alfred lord tennyson very sort of directly to some stuff that happens in uh like in the story and sometimes that's just you know fortuitous kind of accidents but uh, you know just like looking at the fresh prince for so long but eventually i'm gonna see my entire life story reflected into it sometimes yeah you, you just make arbitrary decisions uh and over time they become more significant uh and i i think that's that's kind of important in in many ways that you just uh you you shoot some stuff from the hip and uh yeah you make you make sense of it later well i just i guess lastly touching on that point speaking about your the constant needs to kind of break against the form that you've set yourself if we were to think of this as a normal linear story um how much did you know about the whole thing before you sat down to make the very first episode did you know what would happen in on, on the last episode ah uh, you know usually with my stories there's like some elements i have worked out uh in advance but like yeah some stuff still you know that like you can you can surprise yourself. Um, so no, I didn't, I didn't know, uh, <laughs> uh, everything like the order in which I kind of did things is going to seem a little wild. I, the first thing I sorted out was the puzzles because I, like I knew that like, even before I started like dressing any story onto it, I knew that I wanted every single one of these puzzles to be in like a different form. I know I wanted one to be, uh, uh, I want one to be like a like a, a kind of translation puzzle. I wanted one to be uh, a kind of research based puzzle that would require people to go down rabbit holes on the internet. I wanted one to be kind of like hidden, like a, a sonic puzzle, an acoustic puzzle that would require you to kind of like think about like the sound itself. Um, so like th- those were really important, and I had to get those kind of fixed first. Then I wrote the cover story and then I wrote like the secrets beneath. And I know that seems like utterly the wrong way around of uh, doing it. Uh, so, but because I wanted the cover story to still be entertaining in its own right. And because I knew some people just would not engage with the puzzle element at all, they would just hear the, the cover. And so I still wanted the cover story to feel fun and to still kind of be rewarding. You know, like to, it, it, would, it would have kind of humor in it. And even if you didn't know what the secret was going on, like beneath the surface of it all, but it would still be like a romp to to listen to the this kind of fake corporate podcast. 
that is intentionally hog tying myself a little bit because <laughs> then yeah I had to and then I was like all right so what's really going on beneath the surface but that's I don't know I, that's kind of how I like to work sometimes I had a structure the structure was the puzzles and I kept to that structure but in terms of like some elements of the story like I'm I like backing myself into a corner I like I I think I do my I like I do my best work uh when I back myself into a corner because also like I've given myself permission to fail. And I think like doing that is like really, really important, you know, cause I can say to myself, well, if this doesn't work, it, no one will be surprised. <laughs> cause I, cause, cause of course it wasn't going to work cause, uh, cause of how I've done it. So like sometimes that, that's just how I, that, that, that's just part again of the permission giving that I have to sort of go through to, 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 to work on anything. And that is it for this week's Writer's Routine. Thank you so much for listening to the show. Thank you for Ross Sutherland for an incredible hour of writing chatter. If you want to listen to the series, you can go and do it because you've got a few weeks off of this one because this is the last one for 2020. So you've got a little bit of time to binge through the Golden House, see if you can work out the puzzles that are hidden inside. And I will see you, I reckon, yeah, the first Friday of 2021. The Monday is the 4th, isn't it? So 4th, 5th, 6th, 7th, 8th. I think we'll see each other again on the 8th of January. Uh, very excited for that. Uh, have a very Merry Christmas, a Happy New Year, and I will see you in January. Remember to rate, review, subscribe us wherever you're listening to this. Um, you can also support us at patreon.com forward slash writers routine as well. Give us a follow on Twitter. We are at writers pod there. And I will see you in 2021, where hopefully we'll be allowed outside again. See you then. Have a good Christmas. Bye. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.